So two days after Christmas, that's a tricky, that's a tricky Sunday. People are ready to get past Christmas. They're on to New Year's. It's kind of, we're on to Cincinnati kind of a thing. But yet we're only two days from Christmas, so that's still on everybody's mind. And so where do you, where do you preach and where do you go? And how does that go? And so I, I have a word that's on my heart that I studied and, and shared. And then it, it dawned on me that it seems like I've preached this theme for the last several weeks. And Pastor Ted and I were talking this week about just where, where the church is, what we feel like we need to emphasize. And it just seems that this theme of surrender has, has been on our hearts for a month. And it seems when I spoke of the shepherds, the last time I preached, we talked about the shepherds just surrendering in the moment. And then even the devotion God put on my heart was just that there was this huge upheaval in Mary's life and yet she just surrendered herself to it, to go with it. So it seems like that's a word God is speaking to me. You know, you need to hear me say that. I feel like if that's what he's saying to the church, he's saying that to me. So I've been wrestling with God. What is a deeper surrender? What does that look like for me? And what does that look like for Cindy and I? And what does that look like for Cottage Hill? And so just you, it's so important you step into that with God. What is whole surrender? What does that look like to you? You know, the way that you're comfortable following Jesus right now. I'm not using comfortable in a negative way, but the way that you're grown and are following Jesus right now. What does he want to change about that? What is it that he wants to take deeper in that? So I want to look at this Christmas story and kind of come back and step back on that and think, why we have a Christmas story? Why is it that we even have this story? So I want to read the account of when the angel goes to Joseph and then the account when the angel goes to Mary and just kind of speak out of those two places. So turn to Matthew chapter 1 with me. And if you watch the, the Christmas Eve video, really appreciate our readers, appreciate Gavin and Owen and Anna and Abigail reading. It, it's, it's, it's awesome just to see different personalities reading the scripture and these four, you know, these four little lives God's entrusted to, to Cottage Hill that he's going to raise up. So here it is in, in Matthew 1.18. Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to, to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then let's turn over to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> in Luke 1, let's start in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I don't know if I'm ever going to read this again without thinking of Don McGrath constantly referring to Gabe. <laughs> so... I don't know him that well. I'm still on Gabriel terms with him. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Really appreciated your, you preaching, brother, and what you said, what God put on your heart. Yeah. So in the sixth month, Don's friend Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, "Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you." She was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Why we have a, why we have a Christmas story. Like everything, whatever God is doing, whatever his plan is, the word always plays a key role in what he's doing. And so you have, you have an angel come and, and to, to both, or you have a, a dream for Joseph, you have an angel come to Mary to unfold what, what the plan is and what this word is. Because this is what I see just as you, go through, as you go through scripture always. Like every story in God's plan, God's word plays a very key role. And here's this piece that I see, that God's word is the conduit to, what God, to knowing what God is doing. In a conduit, the electricians use them. A conduit is just a pipe or something that gets things from one place to another. You know, you have this thing and you run the, you run the wires through the conduit so you can connect from the power source to whatever it is you're trying to power. It's a conduit. And so it's God's word that gets this conduit to you and I knowing what God is doing, knowing what his plan is. Everything is central to the word. And so Joseph is sleeping and the angel comes and it says to him, this is what's happening. This is what you need to do. I want to affirm what your wife is telling you is true or what your fiance is telling you is true. And I want to affirm this is what God's plan is. The, word, the angel comes and he comes with a word. And then the angel Gabriel goes to Mary and he says to her, this is, what God, this is what's happening to you. She gets a word from God about what's happening. That we have a Christmas story because you have God's word show up and, and let people know what God is doing. It's the only way that we can know what God is doing. Is through his word. You know, we know what he's going to do, we call that prophecy. We know what he's doing now because of what the scriptures say to it. That's how it's always been from the very beginning that we know what God's doing because he tells us what he's doing in the word. I want you to see that from the very beginning. He creates Adam and Eve and it says he created them man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, there's some strange teaching out there that says that men are created in the image of God and women are created lesser than men. But really, when he speaks of in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. That women are image bearers of God just as men are. So, yeah, just... But it's, here's his word. And God blessed them and God said to them, here's a word from God, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Here's my plan. You're going to know what my plan is because I'm telling you, here's my word about what you're to do. And then right after the, the fall, when things, things unravel instantly, in that moment when God shows up, you have him say, here's my plan. I want to tell you what my plan is. He says to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring, between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring, of course, the Lord Jesus. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So just even in capsule form, he lets him know, here's my plan to rescue this planet. You need to know that because you've done this, you have to leave the garden, but I'm not done. I have a plan that's going to be morphed and it's going to be changed, but here's my plan. And you're going to know my plan because I'm telling you my word. And then you move through Genesis, you get to chapter three and the plan narrows or it gets a little more specific. He calls Abraham and he says, I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families on earth will be blessed. Here's my plan, and, and God has all these subplans under the plan, but his plan is to save this planet, to save this creation that he, that he created and created to dwell in and created for people to have a connection and fellowship with him that went, went off the rail and lost any hope of that. So the concern to Adam and Eve in, in Genesis 3 is, is this thing totally lost? It's not totally lost. I'm going to judge this serpent. I'm going to, whatever he has down the road, we're going to crush him. And then to Abraham, Abraham, this whole earth is cursed, but I want you to know I've chosen you and through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And of course, we know that's going to happen through Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus. But here's the plan. How do we know the plan? Because God tells us in the word. Then you get to another place in 2 Samuel 7 where David is wanting to build a temple for the Lord. And God comes to him and part of his message to him is, it's not going to be you, David. You're a man of war. You're a man of bloodshed. But it's going to be your son. But because David has this 
on his heart, God blesses him with this covenant, and we know is the Davidic covenant, the David covenant. He says, and, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Your throne shall be established forever. So we know part of the, part of the plan of God is that there's going to be a throne and that, that that throne is going to last forever. And then picking in other pieces from Scripture and prophecies, we know that Jesus Christ is going to be the one that sits on that throne. So all the way through the Word, God is telling us what His plan is. You know, I'm circling back. Why do we have a Christmas story? We have a Christmas story because, because God's constantly unveiling in His Word what He's going to do. We know what He's doing. And so in the Christmas story, he comes to Mary and Joseph and says, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is going to be your part in it. But it's the word that lets us know what the plan is. That's so important. It's so essential that you grasp onto that, that you, that you don't, don't automatically go to, yeah, I, I know that. I know that part. I know the word's important. I should read it more than I do. I need you to grasp onto that because often we, we do something less with the word. We do something a little more focused with the word where we lose the larger thing of it. We do things like we look at the word primarily to tell us about our lifestyle. And I want to make sure I'm not sinning. So that's the most important thing to God. That's not the most important thing to God. I'll circle back on that in a second because I don't want to lose you there. But it, the word is not primarily about your lifestyle. Your lifestyle enables you to participate in God's plan. It's your lifestyle that keeps you usable to the Lord. And so I'm reading, I'm reading you know, in the word like you are, God, what do I need to do to stay useful to you? What is it you say will enable the Spirit to control me and empower me and use me? What is it you say will grieve him so that he's not able to use me? It's not primarily, here's my lifestyle so that I can live a blessed and happy life. It will bring me there you've you got to work on your definition of happy because certainly our persecuted brothers and sisters might not define that the way that you and I define that. But it's the word speaking to our lifestyle so that we can find our place in the plan. When you, you go through the promises that we hold on to and maybe you're going to find a promise for 2021 that you want to latch on to, the promises let us know who God is and what he can do so that when we're living out his plan, we have things that we can hang on to. So when you get discouraged and when it looks like nothing is happening or when you get overwhelmed, you know, I, but I have this promise. I have this promise of what God is going to do. I have a promise that he can't deny himself. I have a promise that he's going to be faithful. I, promise that he, I have a promise that he loves this person, that he, is, he wants to show this person mercy. As you live out the plan of what God is doing and what your role is in the plan, you're going to latch on to those promises. Those promises are not just to keep you from giving up in your own, your own pursuit of life. They're to keep you active in the overall plan of what God is doing. We have this amazing Christmas story because Mary and Joseph received the word from God and stepped into the plan. They set aside all the, the things about their life, I'll say more than a minute, because of the plan. And I think that's, where, that's what God is, is burdening Pastor Ted and I about, is we, we need to be living lives that are surrendered to what God wants to do. Not just surrendered so much and I'm surrendering so that I don't sin so much. That's important, but that's, that's minimizing what it is God's trying to do in these significantly challenging times around the world. God is trying to unroll his plan at a greater, it seems like at a greater velocity, but he needs us to be hearing from the word about what the plan is in the right way. Not just for my life, not just for my happiness, not just so that I live life to the full, but so that I live my place in the plan and taking those things. So the promises, the Old Testament law, that let Israel know this is what kind of people you need to be so that you will be a light to the nations. It wasn't just God saying, here's my right and wrong, you need to live out my right and wrong, but it was for a larger purpose. People, the other nations around Israel, they were supposed to look at Israel and think, man, we need to be like them. We need to be a nation like them. And it must be their God that drives them. So we need to be followers of their God. 
And instead, they were just completely affected by other nations so that there really wasn't much difference between them and nobody wanted to become like Israel. You have moments where they have revival and moments where God shows up in amazing ways and nations are at least afraid of their God because they understand who he is. But rarely did you see, see things happen like you see in Isaiah 42, God's heart. He says, I'm the Lord. I've, I've called you in righteousness. He's speaking to this servant who's to come, Jesus, but this is his heart for the nation. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. We've sung songs about chains, you know, falling off and our chains being broken. That is the heart of God. But it's the heart of God for the nations. And that was the calling on Israel to be a light to the nations and not just to have this relationship with God that was unique and that they kept to themselves. Remember, even Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you, send, you go to far lands and try to make converts and you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. So they got this sense that we're supposed to export this, but what they're exporting was so bad. It was so far from what God had in mind. So we think of the Old Testament law. We think of all of these things that this is what you can wear, this is what you can eat, this is what you can't eat, and all of those things. But they were really to set the nation apart so that they would be a light that would draw other nations. Because, because we just keep coming back to this because the, God's word is always out there to let people know this is what God's doing or this is God's heart. You get to the New Testament Gospels and now you get to see Jesus living out God's plan. Jesus says his word. He says, I'm always doing what the Father wants. He says, the Father is working to this very hour and so am I. This sense that I'm here, but I'm not here for me. I'm here for this plan that the Father has. At the end of his life, the night before he dies, Jesus says, but I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then that's the very end. Rise, let's go from here. And they're on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. I do as the Father commanded me. Why? So the world may know that I love the Father. He's not just doing it for the 11. He's not just doing it for those of us who be saved. He's doing it so the world knows the father, that he loves the Father, that he has a genuine, legitimate relationship with the Father, which is really what the, the Pharisees constantly time about. You don't have this legitimate relationship with the Father. You're just talking about it. So you see in the Gospels, you're watching Jesus as he lives out what the Father tells him to do, the Word, in the Father's plan. He'll say, in the key verse of Gospel of Mark, they say, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He understands he's living out this plan. I'm here because of the plan of God. And the plan of God includes my giving my life as a ransom for many people. That, that God has told me what my, my role is. This is my role, and this is where I come. I've, I'm coming and dying is part of the plan, and, and I'm going to do that. Rising from the dead is part of the plan. So I love this opening in Romans, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness. How was he declared to be the Son of God? How was he validated for this claim that he made? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So the, here's the word, here's the calling on Jesus' life. It's not just for his life, but you have, you have life, you have his death, his ransom. Now you have resurrection in which declares him to be who he said he was, to have this message. And Paul understands that message is passed to him, apostleship, for the sake of for the sake of the nations. That's how it goes. And so what does Jesus do at the end of his life? He passes on this plan and he tells to us, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things that I've taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He passes that on to us. The word lets us know what God is doing and then it starts to let us know what we're supposed to do. So you get into the to Acts and into the letters and now Jesus' followers, you and I, were told, we're told how this looks. We're told how this reaching the nations looks to us. And so Jesus says to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit come, has come upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is how it's going to work for you and I to reach the nations like God's heart was. See, his word is constantly unfolding what the plan is and what our place in the plan is. And some people look at this like it's a strategy. Jerusalem was their, you know, their home base, and then Judea, Samaria was the region a little bit beyond that, and then the ends of the earth. And so some people see that historically, that that's how the gospel spread. Some people would say we need to, we need to be witnesses in Springfield and in the Pioneer Valley or in New England and then the ends of the earth. However that is, you've got to get to the ends of the earth with this gospel. It's got to keep going to the ends of the earth. So the Acts lets us know that. The letters let us know how this keeps unfolding. It says in Ephesians, it makes sure that we all know that we all have a role in this plan of what God is doing. It calls leadership to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's something I've got to constantly keep circling back to, that I'm not called to do the work of the ministry. I'm called to equip, help equip you to do the work of the ministry for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue, stature and fullness of God. That's how this plan keeps unfolding. That's this word of what God is doing and how he wants to do that through you. And then one other place we saw in, in 1 Thessalonians as we were going through 1 Thessalonians just the witness of that church and how their witness became known. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, Greece, but your faith in Christ has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. That this word of God trying to, to, trying to rescue his creation, of trying to put it to come back and be able to bless this cursed place comes to us and to constantly just sharing this out. It's the word that lets us know what God is doing. It's always been the word that lets us know what God is doing. So his word, his word lets us know what God is doing. It lets us know what his plan is. His plan is to, is to save as many people as can be saved before judgment comes. That's the plan. I used to say that's half the plan because then the other part of the plan is to make disciples of people who, who come to faith. But it's on to me, really, that's all part of the first part. That if, our, if the plan is to save as many people as we can see come to faith in Jesus, then, then what we'll do is we'll reach people with the gospel and then we'll help them grow up in this gospel so that they can get out there with us and help people reach He'll help us reach people with the gospel. And they'll understand what kind of life, what kind of consistent life they need to be living to be an effective witness. And they'll understand that, that we have to have a healthy church to grow in and encourage each other so that we can get back out there in the world and keep reaching lost people. That is our one mission, reaching lost people. If we, I, think, I think that's so important because when we add the other half, if we want to add another half of, well, and also to help people grow in their faith. If we, if we somehow divorce those two things, I think a lot of people end up hiding out in church. You know, that we're here to reach lost people and we're here to help people grow in church. It's a lot safer to sign up for the other. I'll sign up for that one. I want to help people grow up in church because I, I can stay in church. It's safer, it's friendlier, it's more comfortable. There's more things we can do. And I'll let people that have the gift of evangelism or are really good at that, I'll let them do that. And I think we miss out what God is doing. He is doing to reach lost people. And, and we all have to be involved in that. Some of, our, some of us are gifted to help equip people over on this side to get out there, get out there. But the focus is always, we got to get out there. And we've got to get this message out there. And we only know that because the word tells us that. Because the word lets us know what God is doing. It lets us know what he wants to do. So the more you understand the word, the more you're going to understand his plan. The more, the more you sign on to the word and, and the more that you, believe, I don't want to say believe the word, but you know what I mean? The more that you, the more that you accept it for what it is, 
the more you're going to want to understand what the plan is and you're going to understand what your role in the plan is. And so you're going to stop reading the Bible like it's, you know, I'm not offending you, I hope, but like some people read the Bible as if you get Bible vitamins or something. Your, your, your involvement in the Word is going to be to read a few verses or you get a devotional for Christmas or for New Year's and you can read this devotional. That's good, but you've got to be reading the Word to understand the plan so that you understand the whole of what it is God's trying to do and, and where this plan has been before it got to us and where did it begin and what is it involved. So that, that involves reading chapters or reading books of the Bible and understanding understanding First Thessalonians like we, t- we took a couple months to understand that. You will never understand God's plan unless you're understanding the Word in its, in its, larger, in its larger chunks. See, the, the players in God's plan, they understood the plan and they gave it a whole life surrender. See, why do we have a Christmas story? Because God, he revealed, in, through, he revealed to Mary and Joseph what the plan was. And they met that plan with whole life surrender. And we've talked a lot about that over the, the weeks. I mean, all the cost and all of the changes in Mary and Joseph's life because they got to be the parents of Jesus, they were huge changes. But they gave God whole life surrender. And, and look what happened as a result of that. You watch through the, through the word, all of these people give whole life surrender to, to God and for what they can do. You know, as you read the whole story and as you understand the plan of what it is God's doing beyond just your, your individual walk with him, he's going to tell you your personal place in that plan. He's going to let you know what is it you're supposed to do in this plan and where do you, where do you fit and where does your background and where do you... Where do the the things that God has delivered you from and your gifts, where do they fit in and what he's going to do? He's going to make that known to you. He's going to make it known to you as you just have your your own quiet time as you're reading. He's going to to make that known to you as you meditate, which is way too fancy a word just for thinking about what you've read. You know, people people will call me sometimes and say, you know what, I read this morning, but this afternoon I was just thinking, that's meditating. That's making sure what you've read just doesn't get filed away somewhere in the in your memory. It keeps it fresh so that you can circle back to it. As, as you meditate, as you think on things, the Holy Spirit will use that to let you know where you go. In your devotions, some of, some of the devotions that you're going to read, and they are helpful things. They just can't be the only, thing, the only thing you're doing. They can't take the place of reading the Word for yourself in chunks. But devotions are going to, God is going to use those to stir you and to speak to you in, in a personal way in, in, in a moment. Or, or the, us preaching, I hope God is going to use to allow you to know what's the next place for you in this plan that he's unfolding to reach lost people. Because there's nothing, you know, there's nothing better than seeing someone come to faith in Jesus or see them get baptized or to see them grow or to see them get involved in somewhere and know you've been part of that story. It's nothing better than that. Amen. So he's going to get you involved in that, in, in that way. Someone is, somebody is going to speak into your life, and that's going to stir something that God wants to do in you. He's, it's going to stir the next part of his plan for you. You need to, you need to discern those conversations and, and not write them off so much. I've always joked about uh, Al Melton, my youth leader, when I was a teenager and just saying to me, you know, someday you're going to be a pastor. I've always joked about how I told him he was crazy. But just recently, I realized that was a word from the Lord for me. Before I even knew what a word from the Lord was, that was one. And I just kind of blew it off. That wasn't my plan. It's not what I wanted. That's crazy. That's scary. You know, if it's scary, then it probably is God. Isn't that true as you go through the word? I mean, yeah. But somebody may just speak, you know, have you ever thought about or have you ever do this? We're going to finish, we're going to finish service with this song, I Surrender All. And uh, so I just typed in this morning, we came across this video of it. I came across this, you know, what's the backstory to I Surrender All? Because so many hymns have a backstory. And it said the man that, that wrote the that wrote this hymn, I Surrender All. It says he grew up in a farm in Dundee, Michigan. He went to college and then he started teaching art in his local, local elementary schools. He was very involved in his church, had a fervent faith, served the church. And his friends in the church 
started to encourage him to leave teaching and serve in his evangelist. They just saw his faith. They saw his, they saw his giftings. And they encouraged him to leave teaching and become an evangelist. Somebody encourages you to quit your job and to just go out and be an evangelist. I mean, think about that. I mean, we hear these stories and think, well, that's, that's great he did that. Somebody steps into your life right now and tells you, you know what, you ought to leave your job and become an evangelist, become a pastor, become a missionary, become a whatever, volunteer here, work at the mission, whatever that is. Several of the employees at the mission are people that had regular jobs and were just called by God to something else. Not that that's more spiritual, but it's just that God always needs that right to step in and change that. So people told him that. It took him five years to finally surrender all in the advice of his friends. And he said, he was... He said, I struggled between developing my talents in the field of art and going into full-time evangelistic work. At last, the pivotal hour of my life came and I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life. I became an evangelist and discovered deep down in my soul a talent hitherto unknown to me. Which is how it always works. It's not until you surrender that God reveals, okay, this is what I've put in you to do this. God had hidden a song in my heart and touching a tender chord, he caused me to sing. Perhaps the most important influence that he had was on a young evangelist named Billy Graham, which is also how it kind of works. What he does in you, he has an impact on others. So someone speaks to you. Friends spoke to him. You need to become an evangelist. You need to tune in when people do that. It's okay to pray on the line of, God, this seems totally crazy, but I just want to make sure it's not you. You know, it's okay to tell him, this is totally scary. This is totally not me. This is totally, but, but, you know, I want to give you whole life surrender. Is this you? So he may speak to you through someone else. He may, he may speak through dreams. He still does. I mean, we're reading in the Muslim world, so many Muslim background believers are coming because Jesus is appearing to them in dreams. Or the Holy Spirit may just show up out of nowhere and put something on your heart. I mean, he's going to get you involved in the plan and it's going to be connected to the word. But players in God's plan, they gave whole life surrender to it. Whole life surrender. That's what Mary and Joseph gave and, and because they do, they're part of the story that we love. I mean, God would have found another way to keep this plan unrolling. But he found the people, he found these two people, this young man and this young woman who are willing to give whole life surrender. We're just so burdened that, that we, have, we have people and it's so easy for us to give Jesus our hearts for salvation and to give him a role in our life, but not whole life surrender where he gets to decide how do you do this life and what are the goals in, you have in this life and where are you going to live and how are you going to live and how, how are you going to serve and how important are lost people going to be to you? And how involved are you going to be in reaching lost people, whether you're in the out there side or you're building up the body so that people can get equipped and get out there? All of that are, are questions of whole life surrender and whether we give God just that ability to speak into us that way. That's what the Christmas story is. That's what we watch in Jesus' life. How did God's plan get to you? How did it get to, to me? It got to you and I because 11 men kept giving Jesus whole life surrender. One did not. That's why, that's why we have Judas. He would not give whole life surrender to this plan. But you have 11 men who you never would have chosen give whole life surrender to this message and just roll it out and just kept rolling out and rolling out and rolling out and getting passed on and passed on and passed on until, you know, and, until in my journey, you know, these two teachers took my mom under their wing and shared the gospel with her. And then, you know, one, two, three, four, all four of us boys came to faith in Jesus. And then, and then one of those two women, you know, challenged my mom to let me get a year of Bible to get solid before I went on. And then in the course of that one year of Bible, God put a calling on my life for the rest of my life. Why was that? Because people just kept sharing and sharing and sharing. People that had surrendered their lives to him. 
you know, the new school, it was a, it was a brand new school with a real brand new open classroom strategy. The women didn't know each other. My mom was coming in pretty damaged from life. And so that was a risk. But when you, you live whole life surrender, you live, you live out your risks. You just take risks. Okay, Max and Sophie would love to grow that youth group. But if they speak truthfully and directly with teenagers about what it means to follow Jesus and what Jesus is looking for for them, they may lose some of those teenagers. But whole life surrender has to tell, has to tell the whole story. It has to just step into the opportunity and use it for the plan, for this plan. And, and the plan is to reach as many people before Jesus comes as we can. And that's our place in the plan and that's what total surrender takes. Sometimes it took crazy, radical faith that you read of some, some Christian biographies. And sometimes it just took a, a steady, persistent uh, availability to Jesus that didn't really look outstanding, but looked pretty significant. So there have been people in the Cottage Hill story that just looked very normal, but had a huge influence on lost people around them, or had a few, huge influence in, in all of us. Just whole life surrender. Whole life surrender. That's got to be the phrase that we take home. Whole life surrender. Am I giving him whole life surrender? The whole story, whether you're in the scriptures or in this time period from the scriptures till now, the whole story is the story of imperfect people who gave whole life surrender to God and were used in some amazing eternal ways. Men, women, teenagers, children. You see it in, you see it in the scriptures. You see it played out. God using imperfect people. I say that because so many of us wrestle with, I, I really, I can't serve, I can't really get involved in this, I shouldn't share Jesus till I get my life figured out, until I get over this thing. And, and whole life surrenders means you're going to deal with this thing, but it also means you're going to serve in the, pro, in the meantime. You're going to keep getting this message out. That's just what we've been called to do. It's so important that we don't redefine the word surrender what does surrender, think about that. What does surrender really mean? You know, if, if you look at it, whole life surrender. Let me just get back to how I do this. Hey, Grant, do you want to do that? It just click on the different ones. Yeah, whole life surrender, it's giving God what's his anyway. I mean, this is his life. It, it, I just, surrender just means, God, I'm just acknowledging this is your life. You get to tell me, how to live it, where to live it, who to live it with, how to serve you, you get to do that. You know, that's what, isn't that Corinthians? Don't you know you've been bought with your price and you're not your own? So another thing to whole life surrender is acknowledging that God's plan is greater and better than yours. You're just surrendering to him. God, I understand that whatever I got planned for my life, you get something better and something that's way greater, you know. Another thing to surrender is, is true worship, really, Whole life surrender is true worship. It places God where he belongs and it keeps you where you belong. So we can sing worship songs and be anything but worshipers. Worshipers are people that are confessing that you are on the throne and that one of the things you're on the throne of is my life. Or surrender, and next thing is it's total. It's total surrender or it's not surrender. You know, you nations end a war and hear the terms of surrender. And we will do this, and it's a, God's terms of surrender on, you'll give me everything, and you'll do everything I say for the rest of your journey. That's surrender. And that's why we struggle so much. Oh, God, could you give me a hint of what that looks like, or what that'll involve? Or could you, you know, could you at least promise me that it, here's the limits on it? I mean, when I was a teenager, it was always the joke that, yeah, if you give your life to God, he's going to send you to Africa. He's going to, you know, almost like he's going to, you know, he's going to punish you for doing that. He's going to do the bait and switch of those things. In fact, I think uh, Scott Wesley Brown wrote this great song called Please Don't Send Me to Africa, you know, based on that. I'm going to give you my life. Just please don't send me to Africa because I'm afraid of spiders and snakes and this whole parody of that. But it's either whole life surrender or it's not. Here's another thing surrender is. It's getting out of the way. So the Holy Spirit is free to do all that he can do. See, you, you and I staying in charge of anything or of, of, of resisting what God is doing, that just keeps the Holy Spirit from doing what he wants to do. 
in us. What he wants to do is carry this plan forward uh, of, saving, of saving as many people as can be saved. And so we get in the way of that. Or the next one of, of you know, whole life surrender is just giving God's word the loudest voice among all your voices. I mean, you have a voice. You are speaking into what you think your life should be or where your life should go. Your friends have a voice. Your spouse has a voice. The people that intimidate you, they have a voice. We have all these voices. Surrender just means God's voice is the loudest. That when he says something, that's got to drown out all the other voices. And I've got I've to just go with what his voice is. That's, that's what whole surrender is. And then finally, it's immediate availability. You know, Think Mary and Joseph. Joseph gets up and he, he goes through the legal proceeding and marries, uh, marries Mary. What does Mary do? She says right away, okay, well, let it be to me as you're saying to me. Think the disciples. Jesus finds them at work, you know, Peter, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It says in one passage, so they immediately left their nets. In another gospel, it says they left their nets and their father. And they followed him immediately. They just understood this was the minute. This was the moment. That's what whole life surrender is. We can't tweak that and say, well, I'm kind of surrendered to you. I mean, as, as, as pleased as we are to have a live stream family, you, you need to wrestle out whether you're, you're staying home and staying on live stream because that's what the God's putting in your heart to stay safe. And we want to affirm that. We also know there's the temptation to be on live stream because that's more convenient and that's not surrender. Surrender is rarely convenient, but it does help you find your place in the plan and where that goes. So, so walk through this with me, that the key to everything is God's word. Everything is God's word. That the key to God's word is whole life surrender to Jesus Christ. That's the key to to where the word is going to always take you. And then the key to whole life surrender is God's plan to save the world. That's where it's going to take us. How, how can I know if I'm living a life totally surrendered to God? I'm going to be involved in this plan of reaching the lost. I'm not minimizing anything else. Those of you that were involved in kids' church and are missing kids' church so much, that's a part of this plan to create Little, little disciples, young disciples who know the gospel, who are committed to that and who understand that, that God's got a calling on them to be part of sharing it. There are church ministry that's part of the plan, but the plan is always with the goal of how do we equip ourselves to best be out there sharing Jesus. That is whole life surrender. That's why we have a Christmas story. That's why this story just keeps going on and on and on. So... I realize I've been talking fast. I usually do that when I feel strongly about something. I've also had in mind Cindy, because she tells me sometimes when I talk this fast, she feels like she's going to have a heart attack. So I hope, <laughs> hope you haven't paused me there at home. <laughs> I feel very strongly about this. We feel very strongly about this, that it's a moment of whole life surrender for us to really honestly step back and just give that to the Holy Spirit. You search me. You tell me if, I've, if I'm living a whole life surrender. I've been praying that because I can easily point out all the ways that I, obviously I'm surrendered to you. I mean, it's my full-time life, right, God? But to give him opportunity to speak, do I have whole life, do you have whole life surrender? Is there a deeper surrender you're looking to take me into right now? That's going to be so important for the challenges of 2021. So I'm going to pray and we're going to play this video, which is just the, the verse of, uh, of I Surrender All, whether you want to sing that, whether you want to just allow it to be played over us. It's interesting, the, the one who wrote the backstory, if I can find that, if you're familiar with this old hymn, he says, like so many songs, it repeats a phrase. It says, uh, the refrain, the chorus includes the phrase, I surrender all three times in the melody and an additional two times in the men's part. That means a person who sings all five verses would sing the word surrender 30 times. The other key word, all, would be sung 43 times. So it's kind of like our brother was trying to make a point. The stanzas all around, revolve around the key word, stanza, curse. verse one stresses complete surrender, all to him I freely give. Verse two forsakes worldly pleasures. Verse three prays to feel the Holy Spirit. 
And verse 4 asks for Jesus' empowerment to be filled with thy love and thy power. In the final verse, it says the singer wants to feel the sacred flame, an image of the Holy Spirit. The result is of feeling Christ's full salvation is to sing glory to his name. Just a great old hymn that we don't want to lose. So, Father, we thank you for, for this Christmas story, the beauty of it, simplicity of it, but really that gut-wrenching surrender that it demanded of Mary and Joseph. And we, we speak of the cost that we're aware of, but really for them to be living in the middle of that and to understand this amazing blessing that's been given to them, but the amazing cost of how their whole lives were going to change. We're just so grateful for that. So grateful for men and women and teenagers and children that we find in the Word that gave you that and that show us what you do when you get that. So grateful for the examples of that I've seen in my journey with you, men and women and teenagers and children who have given you whole life surrender that I've been able to see what you do with that. Thank you for how we see that here at Cottage Hill. There's more and more that you could do if that was wider and deeper. And, and so Holy Spirit, whether we're watching the live stream, whether we're in the room, help us to want to give that to you. That's where the battle is for some of us in the want to, to be able to trust you enough with that, to be able to lay down what we want from life to what you demand from life, to believe that being involved in your plan to reach the lost is really going to be better and more fulfilling than the plan for life as we've put it. Help us, Lord, know, you know, Pastor Ted and I, our ministry leaders, help us know, Lord, if somehow we've minimized what you're calling us to do. We don't want to feel secure and automatic in what we're doing and the way we're doing it if you're looking for something at a much, much different level. So we, we need to hear from you in that. We need to hear from you in that. Some, Lord, as they give you whole life surrender, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, and so I just pray there'd be an amazing grace like we sang of that would just flood in, that would keep them from from giving you anything less. You are so perfectly balanced and God, I just want to pray that over the family because we could easily slide into being overwhelmed with guilt or we could easily give ourselves a pass and so you just speak so perfectly to us. Would you make sure it's you we hear and not ourselves and not the evil one certainly or not each other. So we give you that, anxious to see what you do with it. Amazing things with those 11. We know you can do amazing things through us. So that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together and we'll, we'll play that hymn again as you're going to sing or just have it sung over you.
Do you remember that story of the, the chicken and the pig walking around the farm? They're talking about how good the farmer is to them. And uh, this is a dumb story, but it's a great application. So the, the chicken and pig are talking about how good the farmer is, and they say, we, we should do something for him. And they, yeah, we should. we should. We should give him a nice breakfast. So we could do that. They say, we should give him, you know, ham and eggs. And the pig said, wait a minute. For you, that's a donation. For me, that's total commitment. <laughs> and we got to weigh out, are we giving the Lord, you know, donation or total commitment? So, yeah, good. Hey, before we finish, hey, Ponch, we, we prayed for your mom before service or in the beginning of service. Anything new with her? Or? Okay. Is she in the hospital or... Oh, she is home. Okay. Is she still bleeding or? Okay. 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 So I want to pray and just amen what Pastor Ted prayed for God just to step in. Lord, you, you, you know, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but you, you've come to give us life and life to the full. And we want that. In spite of all the things that get in the way, we want that. And I want that for our, for our whole family to experience. So lead us to that point. We want to hear from you. We want to be totally in so that we can totally rejoice in heaven. I mean, those people that were part of leading uh, Cindy's grandparents to faith, they are rejoicing. And they're rejoicing anew in heaven this morning. We want to be part of that forever and ever and ever. And for Anna's role in that, God, we just pray you bless her the blessing she's been through so many years. We bless her with the gift of healing. We pray, God, just over that mind and over that brain. Just stop the bleed and allow her to, to be all of who you've created her to be. Give, pray you give Ponch and Carmen wisdom in the course of that, God. Your goodness, we, that's what we want to live out. It said earlier in that psalm, I know I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. So we just depart to experience that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.